John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Strong or Die podcast. Today my guest is Paul Mauser. We're going to do a recap of the Arnold 2019. How are you doing today, Paul? Man, uh, let me be honest here. <laughs> I feel terrible. <laughs> the Arnold kicked my ass. Anybody who saw me on day three knows I was uh, not doing so hot. And apparently that's because I was getting sick because now I am rather sick. Yeah, well, but you... how are you doing? That's the question. That's what people want to know, damn it, John. You're always asking people, hey, you're asking your guest, how you doing? What's going on in your life? Nobody asked you. So how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Um, my knees hurt. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, that's just normal. Uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Um, I think... Uh, you, you didn't even know how to answer that question, did you? <laughs> that done, no, nobody's ever asked. <laughs> <laughs> About damn time. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I did um, the Moss Wrestling Tournament at the Arnold, um, which I, I think is uh, one of the more, it's the probably maybe the most important Moss Tournament in the U.S. Um, yeah, I think they, they do nationals uh, as well out there in um, California, I think, every year. But uh, we did that on Friday morning to start. We had two matches. I had two matches Friday morning. And then was a little sore the next day, Saturday morning, on the second day of the tournament. <clears throat> and then afterwards, like immediately afterwards, <laughs> I was pretty sore. Um, and, and then I was a little sore on Sunday. And, and then it kind of went away. Um, I think it being two days spread out. Um, really kind of saved me there. If we'd have done all the matches in one day, I probably still wouldn't be moving right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's uh, let's slow down a little bit, and you know there might be some folks listening who aren't familiar with Moss Wrestling. What? That's M A S Wrestling. So, uh, I would say much of your audience is familiar, man. But you might have new people listening to this. Uh, hopefully we have some more people listening to this. So break it down for us. What in the world is Moss Wrestling, man? G give us a brief synopsis. Uh, well, Moss Wrestling is a very old, um, strength-based type of wrestling. Um, you know, it, it dates back to, um, man, I, I can't even remember what's like 16th or 17th century Russia or something. And, um, you basically, you're, you're seated with your feet against a board, your opponent's seated across from you with his feet on the other side of the board. And, um, you have a stick. I think it's about 18 inches long. And, um, uh, you know, you're both holding onto the stick and your object is to either take the stick from your opponent or pull your opponent off the ground over the board and onto your side, um, or knock your opponent off of the board. And those are basically the ways to win. Um, Are you exaggerating the number of inches there, John? Because from <laughs> what I hear, you've been known to do that. <laughs> that that's that's quite possible. Um, 
<laughs> I do exaggerate a lot of things. Apparently, um, I can now squat 600 pounds, according to the announcers <laughs> at the Moss Wrestling Tournament. My buddy, my buddy John Eccles is up there setting PRs for you on the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to stand so up yeah, and stop. So, yeah, so Moss Wrestling, is, it's pretty much like a seated tug-of-war with a stick. <laughs> and, yeah, you want to take that stick away from the other dude, and he wants to take it away from you. And I think it's a pretty awesome test of strength because, you know, if you've got a stick and I want that stick, but I can't, but I can't take that stick away from you. Am I really stronger than you? Yeah, and I think the way that um, you I mean, know, the, you're seated and just the positioning and stuff, it's not like it's not like a martial martial arts where you can do some fancy disarm. Like it is designed for the stronger person to win, you know? So yeah, you, absolutely, man. Yeah. You're, you're, there were some strong dudes in this tournament, man. How about, um, how about our buddy, Tim Sowards, known as the Zercher man to many, uh, many folks online. Um, this guy is 48 years old. If he hasn't had his birthday yet, he may be 49. And he's out there competing in the open class, man. I mean, there, there was no master's class. He's out there competing with the young bucks. You know what I mean? How about uh, how about our dude Tim Sowards? Yeah, there was there was no master's class, and they decided to only do two weight classes as well. So. Um, I think it was um, 231 and up was the heavyweight. So, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of mercy <laughs> as far as divisions and stuff. You know, you were thrown in there and uh, Tim stepped up, uh, you know, very early on when he realized that he was able to compete and uh, jumped in there. And they, they told him pretty early on, too, there wasn't going to be a master's class and stuff. And he decided, uh, hey, I'll take on the Young Bucks. <laughs> yep. Yep. Now, uh, b before we get into uh, more stuff about what happened with uh, um, what happened with Tim a little later on, so... Moss wrestling being a man versus man type of event, uh, it is a tournament format. So that means, you know, theoretically, uh, you maybe end up in different brackets. Um, you know, you, you don't necessarily know who you're going to face next. Um, that sort of thing. It seems like it could be pretty nerve wracking, man. I mean, uh, you know, you could draw, you could draw the world champion in the first round. <laughs> and then there you are. Um, and then that actually what, tell us about were there any nerves going into this? Uh, are you more nervous going into this than you would be like a strongman <laughs> comp or what? No, no, I, I don't think so. I don't. I don't really get nervous anymore about it, stuff. Um, maybe there may be some concern. I don't know that I would call it nervous. Um, you know, I, try, I tell people, uh, we've had this conversation a bunch, you know, I don't think that Moss Wrestling is necessarily <clears throat> any more dangerous than anything else, but, you know, there is a certain amount of danger with anything that you do, so, 
uh, when I sit down on the board, you'll see that I don't grab the stick immediately. And that's because I sit down and I make a checklist in my mind and I say, you know, X, Y, and Z will get you hurt. Don't do X, Y, and Z. <laughs> and I, I literally mentally <laughs> rehearse that in my head. And then I grab the stick and then I do, you know, whatever's necessary from that point. Um, so th there's just some concern there with what I'm going to do uh, in the match and stuff. Um, I think it's a little, <clears throat> it's a little different than, uh, you know, stones or a log or something like that because it's so dynamic. Um, so there's a different type of concern there, but no, I wouldn't say I was nervous. Oh yeah, man. So, all right, take take us through this monster wrestling, man. We got a lot to cover with the Arnold. So many things going on. So many people from our crew involved, and I kind of want to try to touch on all of them if we can. But uh, take us through this monster tournament. You show up. It's Friday, first day of the Arnold. Boom, first match. Uh, who you going against? How did the match go? And what happened after? Um, so some of my opponents, I don't, I didn't know a lot about because I, I don't stalk people. I don't even, I didn't really, there was like, other than Tim Sowards, cause he told me and we're friends. And then, um, Jeremy Hayes, who's also, uh, friends with us. Um, there was only one other person that I knew that was going to be in the tournament. And that's because, uh, they actually started following me on Instagram and liking my Moss videos. So I went to their page and seen and was like, Oh, well they're probably doing a tournament. Um, other than that, I didn't really know who was going to be there. And there was a lot of people outside of the U S that had shown up. So they, they had um, a decent amount of U S uh, competitors. And then there were people from Hungary, Germany, Russia. Um, and uh, I'm forgetting somebody here. But <clears throat> anyway, there were people from, you know, outside of the country there. And my first draw was against a large, um, I believe he was Hungarian. And uh, I ended up <clears throat> uh, scoring two points, um, which means I won two out of the three matches. And he won one. Um, if you if you score three points, that means you won two matches back to back. So it's assumed that you won the third. So you get three points. So I scored two points because I beat him in um, the first and third round, I believe. Then we went through the, that was, uh, everybody else went and then we moved to the expo stage, which is pretty cool because then I actually got to be out on the stage on, in the inside of the expo and they played some of those matches up on the, on the big screen, which was pretty cool. And uh, I got paired against... All right, let's let's slow down for a minute here. You you described a big Hungarian. So, um, for anybody that doesn't know, uh, John the Viking here is about six five and probably three hundred. What about three forty? Maybe before breakfast. And uh, so when so when John says somebody's big, there's there's a little bit of weight to that comment. There's a little bit of gravity to that. What are we talking big here? Uh, I would. He wasn't as tall as me. I'd I'd say he's probably six six one or six two, and um, but he was probably, if I had to guess, three fifty, three sixty, something along those lines, maybe three seventy. So roughly the size of like a Steve Schmidt or bigger. <clears throat> yeah, a different kind of shape than Steve, but yeah, he was he was a, a big 
a big big guy like that yeah cool well I'm, I'm i'm asking this to kind of lay the groundwork to show the uh to show the kind of competition you're, uh, you know, that was here, you know, this is the Arnold, it's the big stage. Um, not a whole lot of, uh, not a whole lot of slackers <laughs> at the Arnold. Um, we're talking about some big, you know, rhino sized dudes. So, all right. So, so that one went your way. Uh, next round, what happens? Uh, so next round's out on the expo stage and, um, I got paired with a guy from Russia, um, and I I lost that round that match. He beat me in rounds one and two, and I got him in the the, the middle round. Scored a point on him. Um, now he wasn't gigantic, but he was a muscular dude. You know, um, uh, I didn't I don't know who he was. Keep in mind, and I didn't I didn't pay any attention. I didn't go in the back and look at the stable and see who was there at all. Like I didn't I don't care. Um, so. My first real glimpse of the guy was walking across the expo stage <clears throat> and, and he was pretty jacked. He had like a bodybuilder style look to him. Um, so, you know, a couple things run through your mind uh, when you see that. So I was like, huh, he's got kind of some showy muscles. I don't know how strong he'll be. Uh, but it turns out he was super, super explosive. And um, after that match, like I said, I scored a point in round two. When I left to the stage, I was approached by some of the people running the show and they told me, um, that he was the number one guy in Russia. So, um, my second round was against the number one Russian Moss wrestler. And uh, yeah, where, where this is the, uh, uh, national sport of the Yakushin people of Russia or whatever. Yeah. Um, so the, the number one guy in, in Russia is probably pretty often the number one guy in the world. Yeah, usually more often than not, that's the case. So um, I was pretty pretty happy that I scored a point on that guy once I knew that. Um, and then that was the end of day one for me. Um, we only had those two matches and then you moved on. Uh, later on, this was double elimination, so there was a losers bracket. So the Russian put me into the losers bracket for day two. All right, all right. So uh, day two, come back out. Um, how, how's this turn out for you? Uh, so day two um, was a little bit later in the day, which was cool because uh, I feel a lot stronger the later in the day. So I was a little sore from the day before, nothing crazy, but I was a little sore and I really liked the fact that it was like a few hours later. Um, and then, uh, I didn't even go ask who I was paired with. Like I said, I don't really care. Um, so I, uh, was hanging back and then, um, actually Tim Sowards approached me and said, Hey, me and you got paired. So, uh, you know, we're friends. We talk for a little bit, you know, it's not a big deal to me. And then, uh, me and Tim went up to Moss wrestle or whatever, and it did not end the way that it should have ended. <laughs> but, uh, so we, we lock up and, uh, I was on the, uh, I think I can't remember if I was on the red side or the blue side. I think he was on red. So he got the stick first. So he presented the stick to me. We locked up and then, um, 
man, like I'm talking two seconds after the ref said go, um, Tim, what we believe suffered a, uh, bicep tear almost immediately. Yeah, that, man, that, yeah, that's, that stinks for Tim. Um, yeah, he, he immediately grabbed his arm. Um, you've been there before you've suffered that injury. Um, and been, and been through it, so you probably had a pretty good idea right off the bat uh, what was going on, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, so if if nobody's ever competed in Moss wrestling, um, Moss wrestling, and, and I've done a, a lot of stuff. <laughs> I've competed in a lot of different things, and Moss wrestling is one of the fastest sports that I've ever been involved with. I mean. Like matches can literally be open in, or over in in a second, um, and 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 sumo wrestling might be the only thing I think that's faster than Moss. Um, <clears throat> and so this this was literally within like two seconds. I can distinctly remember hearing his bicep tear and thinking. Man, his elbow sleeves making a lot of noise. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Now I remember when when you had yours. It's been a handful of years ago now. Um, you described a sound and a feeling that sounded and felt like a zipper. I distinctly remember those words coming out of your mouth. Is that what you heard? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and. Um, See, mine was like a zipper followed with a pop. Now, I never really heard a definitive pop with his, but like I said, it sounded like a like a sleeve. Like if you're like really trying to slide your like a knee sleeve up a sweaty leg, kind of like that kind of pulling, ripping kind of sound. And uh, and I heard that, and I I thought, man, his sleeve is like, why is his sleeve making that kind of noise? And then I realized almost about the same time he did. And he said, my bicep. And before he said that, I thought his bicep <laughs> and, oh, man. and uh, he let go. Now I'm hoping it wasn't a full tear because um, if you watch the video, which I, which I posted on my Instagram, um, he is actually coming towards me with his legs as well as his arms when this happens. So I think some of the force was being, uh, mitigated at the time of the tear. I don't think he was pulling as hard as he could have been at that exact moment. Uh, and, and he was pretty quick to realize and let go. So there's a possibility it's not a full tear. Um, and, and, uh, we'll, I think we'll actually find out tomorrow. I talked to him earlier today. Um, and he's getting it checked out tomorrow. Awesome. Well, well, good, good to hear. Uh, this is, this is being recorded on, uh, March 5th. This is uh, Tuesday, March 5th, where this is being recorded. So, uh, when he's playing, it's going to be tomorrow when he gets checked. That is going to be the 6th, uh, Wednesday, the 6th. So, um, now we got to give the people here, uh, something that, uh, something extra, a little bit of insight here, um, something they're not going to get anywhere else. Um, Walk us through the mental aspect of this. Uh, so what, what, are, what are the thoughts? What are the feelings? Um, you realize he's hurt. Uh, you know, this is a guy that we're buddies with. 
um, a guy that you've trained with, a guy that's you know come to compete, guy that you talk to uh, here and there online and whatnot. Um, you know what's 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 going through your head when you realize that uh, that your that your buddy Tim just uh, potentially suffered a pretty serious injury. <clears throat> oh, I mean, it was pretty shitty. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I, I definitely didn't want it to end that way. Um, <clears throat> you know, for a multitude of reasons. You know, we're friends and stuff and, and everything, and and he trains really hard, and you know, and then there, of course, there's all these people online that are always telling Tim don't do this and that because you're going to get hurt. And then, and then of course, you know, you get, he gets injured in this Moss thing. And that was one of the big things I actually thought about was like, Oh great. These people are going to run their, their fucking mouths about it, you know? And, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, it was just shitty. It wouldn't have been, I think, I think there was a lot yeah. of build up to that match. Like seeing, um, what do you, what do you do? Are you Moss wrestling right now? What are you doing? <laughs> I, I think that's picking up my dis, dishwasher because I walked in my kitchen to pour myself a stiff drink because I need something to uh, uh, help me deal with this evil devil disease that I'm dealing with. So I'm going to get a little fireball whiskey here in order to continue the podcast. But I will get, I will get out of that now so that uh, we don't have all, all that interference going on. Um, yeah, I think, I don't think, you know, I mean, tearing, having an injury is not ideal, but I don't, it would have been a little less shitty had we actually like gone a two out of three or, or had a few moments to actually wrestle and stuff. I mean, it was like a, it was just like worst case scenario. Like as soon as they said, go, this happened. And, you know, I think people really wanted to see me and Tim go at it. And and it was just pretty anticlimactic all around. And then having been through a bicep uh, injury um, and knowing it, it, I wasn't, I mean, it took nine months to fully uh, come back from that. It, it's a pretty shitty uh, injury to have. Uh, just knowing that and knowing, you know, I mean, I can like see Tim's next nine months. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like looking into the future. That's pretty shitty. Uh but I also know that, that Tim's a lot like I am. He's pretty um, pretty gritty and determined and pretty unorthodox with the way he trains and stuff. I think he'll be fine. He'll he'll come back just like I did, and he'll he'll be you know stronger after the fact anyway. Um, so I guess at the end of the day, probably of all the people there, it, it happened to the best person for it to happen to. But uh, I mean, it still sucks, you know. And then and then I knew him. If it was somebody I didn't know. Not, not that I wouldn't care, but you know, it would have been a little less, uh, mentally demanding <clears throat> and it actually did affect me more, um, probably than, than I let on because, um, in the next match, which would have been my fourth matchup, um, I went out and I did my sit down ritual of what, you know, thought what not to do. Don't, don't get hurt. Especially after that, you have to do that. Right. And then, right. um, and then I lost, uh, I lost the, the first round of that next match. Um, there was a few reasons why I made a bad decision, but I also didn't latch my belt and you know, my, it was obvious my head wasn't in the game. So once he took the stick from me, I had to sit back again and think, okay, get your, get your shit together. And then I came back and beat that guy and won, um, my fourth matchup. 
which uh, then earned me a rematch against um, the Russian because somebody, uh, I believe the second place guy, um, the guy that got second place had actually beat him somehow. And uh, so that dropped him down at the top of the loser's bracket where I was headed. So I got a rematch against the Russian. Um, it was more of the same though. He, he pretty much, uh, decimated me and, uh, kept me from hitting the podium. So you, uh, was that your final match? Yeah. Uh, I had, uh, two matches on Friday, three matches on, um, Saturday. Okay. So you, you end up in, in fourth place and, one one more victory would have would have got you on that podium, huh? Yeah, and who knows what would have happened had I faced um, somebody else, uh, you know? But the Russian beat me, and then I I ended up against the Russian again, and uh, that dude had my number. So, <laughs> so is it is it crazy that I actually like uh, tournament formats? If you think about you know a lot of a lot of people in strength sports will. They're not big fans of tournament formats uh, necessarily, but if you think about every other like major sport in the world, they're all based on tournaments. And you know, it's not just about being the best; it's about being the best on that day and rising to the challenge that comes your way. You know? Yeah, I, I like um, I like tournament formats, and the cool thing about tournaments. Um, you know, there's multiple ways to run tournaments, right? I mean, you can do follow the leader or single elimination, double elimination. There's just a bunch of different ways that you can do tournament formats. And, um, you know, I, I like it a lot. And, and it gives you an opportunity to test yourself against potentially. I mean, obviously, I didn't face everybody, um, but it gives you the potential to go against a whole bunch of different people in one day. And you can have cool situations where maybe you beat a guy, but then that guy beats another guy and that guy beats you. And then it's like, well, you know, there's this triangle, like who's the best. And, you know, it can build up um, a, a lot of, a lot of drama and stuff. And if, if you're a promoter, those, those kind of things are great for uh, promoting shows and, and building things up and, and, and everything. Yeah, yeah, spectators tend to tend to love that stuff. Okay, so uh, that's monster. Who who else who else from the crew did did uh, the monster wrestling tournament? Uh, Sarah Ott um, and uh, Katie O'Connor from uh, West Virginia both did moss wrestling. <laughs> and um, so we had a couple of ladies representing there. Uh, yeah, and. Um, both of them were, uh, fairly, fairly late signups, I believe, uh, to the competition. I know Sarah signed up like, like the last possible day to sign up, I think. And, um, um, they signed up and went out and, uh, I think they both, uh, lost their first two matches, um, but they did pretty well considering um, they both ended up facing really phenomenal competitors um, and, and faced uh, ended up facing the winners of the, you know, of the Moss wrestling tournament. Um, <clears throat> and there was uh, 
can't remember where they were from. There was there was definitely one woman from Russia, and uh, she was actually the the Russian uh, women's world champion. And there was uh, I think another lady from Canada who was really good. And um, they just ended up running into these people early on in the tournament. Yeah, so uh, Sarah was also doing the grip competition. So the the uh, arm lifting USA, which consisted of uh, a handful of events, pun intended. Yeah, three events. So tell us, uh, to tell us what what happened with Armlifting USA. Did we have Did we have anybody else from uh, West Virginia or anybody else from the Mauser crew um, representing there? Um, not directly. No, Sarah was the only Mauser official Mauser athlete to do the grip competition. Um, however, Jed Johnson, uh, my uh, grip coach, was was there in attendance and was competing, and um, I believe he ended up. Uh, second place overall in the um the heavyweight yeah, division. Yeah, Jed ended up second. Yeah, Jed ended up second. I saw I saw that. So big uh, congrats to him for grabbing the silver medal. Uh, I believe Sarah ended up in fifth overall, and uh, I think she set a couple of PRs if I'm not mistaken, huh? Yeah. So they only did one grip event each day. They did on Friday. Um, they started off with the Rolling Thunder. Um. I can't remember the weight, but it, she hit a 10 pound, um, PR on the rolling thunder. And, and that's, that is, uh, some people don't appreciate a 10 pound PR. You know, you train, you train for two months for something or three months or however long we trained for it. I don't even remember. And, and then you get a 10 pound PR and some people would sneer at that. But the thing is, this is a one handed lift. And it's a very difficult one-handed lift where you can't use a lot of weight anyways. Um, so 10 pounds is a big deal uh, just in the scheme of things. But also, they use brand new um, equipment for these competitions. So, And, and anybody that's, that's in grip sport would understand this. Um, if you've had a rolling thunder for any amount of time, unless you take the time to really get inside of this thing and clean it out, it, it gets a little gummed up and, and it gets nicks on it and it gets a little grippier. And over time, the rolling thunder handle gets a little bit easier and easier and easier. And it's, it is not uncommon. I've seen it happen. I remember doing a grip competition a few years ago and um, a guy missed his opener and bombed out of a, of a rolling thunder lift because um, he started with an opener that he could do with a rolling thunder that he had at his house. Well, that rolling thunder had aged and got a little grippy and it didn't quite roll as much. And then when the, they opened up the brand new rolling thunder and used it at the competition, it was, you know, five or 10% more difficult. And it was enough to stop him from hitting his opener. Um, so to go and hit a PR on a rolling thunder, I, I think that's a pretty good indication of how much progress you've made just because you're it's, it is one of the few times where you'll probably go do an event and it's actually more difficult than what you could have trained. Yeah, absolutely. That's one thing about, about grip sport for sure. And additionally, uh, we know we're talking about that rolling thunder and a lot of grip events, the, you know, the world world record uh, like for the men, for example, I think the world record for men is like 330 pounds. Right. You know, 
So you've got to keep that in perspective. This is a one-handed lift on a rolling fat handle. So when you have a uh, female competitor, um, you know, maybe I'm just going to take a ballpark guess. Maybe, maybe her max is in the neighborhood of uh, uh, hundred and I don't know. Let, let, let's say 120 pounds, and she goes to 130. That is a massive percentage jump. You know what I mean? You think yeah. about that in terms of a percentage of what kind of percentage was put on that performance? That's huge. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, it's your hand, and you got five fingers and stuff, but it's a pretty uh, in in strength sport terms, it's a pretty isolated movement. You know, there's not a lot of musculature being used, so a ten pound PR is a big deal for sure. Um, but I, and you know, I think a lot of that comes back to just the way that that I train people and the way that I have people do stuff. You know, that uh, Sarah wasn't um, using a lot of chalk in the gym. I don't think she used chalk at all during the entire training cycle to make, to make the lifts more difficult. And then, you know, we used chalk at the competition and, and that helps out and things like that. Just things to mitigate, um, being surprised by the difficulty of the implement when you get there. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that, uh, you're always preaching, I'm always preaching is to make things more difficult in training train the hard way, use difficult implements, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and more and more people are kind of jumping on board with that. And another guy who's a big proponent of that is, uh, is our buddy Mike Bartos, who just released a new barbell that's something like a uh, – it's almost like an axle, but it's not quite that thick. Um, it's about maybe one-and-a-half-inch diameter, I think, or maybe a little less. But it's made to be completely stiff. Um, no flex at all, but, uh, made it with a, still a small enough diameter to where you can still pull it, uh, without, without straps and still hit maximal weights and whatever. Um, but the whole idea, the reason I bring that up is the whole idea when he, when he released that, if you look at the advertisements he's doing for that is that's to make deadlifting harder in training. It's the whole reason he made the product. Right. And a lot, a lot of people miss that. A lot of people want to make everything easier in training. You know, they want to they want to uh, put on all their gear for every set, and you know, and every part of their training cycle. And that you know, they want to use you know the the flexing bar every time, and like all this kind of stuff. And I think a lot of people are leaving a lot of gains on the table by doing that. Where's this table at? Because I'd like to go pick up those gains. Yes, we need to <laughs> we need to feast at the gains table. Hey, speaking of gains tables and feasting and whatnot, tell us about the uh, tell us about the Mauser Party House here. <laughs> so, uh, some of the Mauser crew got together, got an Airbnb, and all crashed there. And I don't know, there was like seven or eight of them in, in the house, and uh, I never really got to go visit because I'm sad and old, but. Uh, yeah, they sound like there was some shenanigans at the house. Well, you're actually asking the wrong guy because um, uh, I ended up staying at a hotel and was not in the Mauser Party house. Um, but yeah, there there was something like what nine or ten of them staying in this uh, Airbnb. Airbnb. It was all Mauser uh, athletes, and they I guess they were getting pretty wild and lifting stones in the yard and all kinds of stuff. So, so they, so they, uh, let's just get real here. They kicked you out of the house so that you couldn't make them do more squats. Is basically <laughs> I, what happened. 
I was deemed too boring and was kicked out and sent to an old folks home. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we may never know what happened at the Mauser party house where, <laughs> where no Mausers were actually present. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. Um, so back to the grip. Um, so Sarah went on to do um, double overhand Apollon's axle on Saturday. She hit a 15 pound PR there. And um, I, again, this, this is a brand new axle bar brought out. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. A 15 pound PR on that. And then the third day, Sunday, they did the silver bullet hold. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's, um, it's like a gripper, you know, classic old school gripper that, uh, you know, you find anywhere, it's, but this is the iron mine model, the captain's crush. Um, there's a little metal plug and you squeeze the gripper together onto this metal plug. The metal plug, um, has a rope on it. That's tied to a weight. I think it's seven and a half pounds or something, maybe more. And, um, you just have to hold the gripper closed and hold the plug and keep the weight held up off the floor. When you, when you cannot apply enough pressure to keep the plug in place and it falls, your timer stopped. So it's a timed event. Um, and most of the time, and this is how they ran it there, you know, they have stronger grippers and weaker grippers. If you use a stronger gripper, like a more difficult gripper is what I mean. Um, even if your time is less than somebody else, if you use the more difficult gripper, you still win. Right. So, right. Um, with the captains of crush grippers, the higher number means they're more difficult. So if Paul uses, um, a number three gripper and holds it for 10 seconds, but I did a number two and held it for 25 seconds. Um, Paul still wins because he used the number three and I only use the number two. Um, now, is there any sort of bare minimum amount of time on that? I remember when I, when I ran a grip comp, uh, a very ill-fated grip comp uh, a few years back. I, I set a rule personally that any time under like five seconds was a zero. Is there any rule for that in official like arm lifting rules? I I don't believe so because I think Sarah got credited with one point five seconds or something. Um, but but it was actually a PR. So. Uh, grippers are not her strong point. Struggled with that throughout the training cycle. Uh, was not able to do the gripper. The number I think it was the number one. Was not able to do the number one gripper in training at all. Uh, but but peaked enough and pulled it off in the competition to score. I think it was one and a half or two and a half seconds. So you kind of touched on something uh, pretty important there. Um, peaking for competition, what, what you do in training versus what you do in competition. This is something we've talked about before, but I think it warrants another mention here. What you do in training should all be based around what you plan to achieve in competition. And you see a lot of, uh, a lot of folks who don't really understand this will criticize training videos that they see online 
from world champions or national champions and world record holders and whatever. And they'll say, oh, well, this guy didn't look good on training in this random lift that he posted. Um, you know, uh, he's, he's going to lose. He's not going to do this. He's not going to do that, whatever. Then he shows up at the comp and absolutely destroys it. And we saw some of that at the Arnold. You know, we saw, um, you know, Haftor and Martins uh, both get a couple of reps, I think, on the uh, Austrian Oak Log, which is 430 pounds. You know, Martins, the only time he hit that weight in training was his final his final session uh, before he took his deload. And it did not look good. It, I mean, it was, a, it was a hard, hard lift. But then he went out there and smoked it, you know, on the big stage. And same thing with Hafthor. People, uh, boy, people made a big deal about Hafthor uh, stumbling on a 200 kilo uh, log press in training or something. Um, he 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 stumbled on his first rep and then came back and got it pretty easily. But boy, people just jumped all over that. Well, then he comes then he comes out and does exactly what he needs to do to tie for first in the Austrian Oak event at the Arnold. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you see that all the time. People, you know, as, as obvious as it is when you watch the top people, it like people just don't get it. You know, they, uh, well, it's like, uh, you know, when you saw half Thor pressing, um, what was the 200 kilos? I think that's what, is that 440? That's 440, right? So he, he pressed a 440 yeah. log and then, uh, Larry wheels pressed a 440 log, I think. Right. And it was like in the same video. And then, uh, there was another video where Eddie Hall, like this is a separate video pressed like 420 pound log. And then everybody's jumping all over Eddie and saying, Oh, Larry wheels is making you look weak or whatever. But but this is all in training. Like who cares? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like let's, let's be real here. When competition day comes, Larry wheels is not beating half Thor or Eddie hall on the log. <laughs> like, no, like it's, it, it's not going to happen. And, and another thing is, you know, when, uh, before Eddie made his kind of switch over to more physique based training, he was doing, Something like what was it, thirty or forty rep uh, dumbbell presses with sixty kilo dumbbells or something. It was like one hundred and thirty pounds. Who's doing it? like one hundred and thirty pound dumbbells on seated presses uh, before he would do his log work? So he would go into his log work already fatigued, and he did. You know, he did this on purpose. It was, it was by design. So you can't look at training. And look at a random training lift. You don't know what they did up to that. They might have done 15 sets, you know, of other stuff before they even got to that. But people want to jump to conclusions and not realize that just because something looks a little tough in training doesn't mean it's not going to look better in competition. Because if the guys know what they're doing and they have a good training cycle, they're going to look better on the big stage than they do in training. That's the whole purpose. Yeah. And training, training has so many variables and so many different ways to do it. Like you said, you don't really know what's happening. Um, there was a, 
a, a famous power lifter named uh, Sam Bird. Um, I think he was like the first guy uh, under 200 pounds to deadlift 900 pounds or something along those lines or squat 900 or something. Anyway, a really good power lifter, right? And um, he wrote these like keys to success. And one of the keys to success was that he said he does whatever he can to keep weight off of the bar in training. So you could foolishly watch this guy train and say, oh, well, he's, you know, he's only squatting 500 pounds or something, you know. And then he goes to a meet and squats 900 pounds. <laughs> and, you know, like you, you couldn't possibly watch that guy's training and say, well, at least a clip. You know, now if we had the whole training session on video and we watched it, you know, it might, it might tell the story, but you're not going to find an Instagram video of this guy training and, and understand what's actually going on. It's just not going to happen. Right, right. So we, we got off on a bit of a tangent there, but uh, we kind of wrapped up the grip sports stuff. We talked about the Moss wrestling stuff. What else was going on at the Arnold, man? We had, the, you know, so many of our of our friends and affiliates and everything else uh, were doing so much. You know, before we before we really get into the strongman stuff, uh, do we have anybody else um, we wanted to touch on in any other sports? We talked about grip sport. We talked about moss wrestling. Uh, we even got into a little bit of strongman, some programming stuff, yada, yada, yada. There was all kinds of stuff at the Arnold Sports Festival. If you've never been to the Arnold, folks, you gotta go. Medieval fighting uh, and fencing, stuff like that's there, man. Uh, all sorts of martial arts. Um, bodybuilding, if you're into that kind of thing. Powerlifting. Our, our buddy Ray Williams uh, set some new records. And all-time raw squat, squat and total. 1080 on the squat, no knee wraps, no suits, and I think 2452-ish on the total. John, when are you going to take that uh, take that record away from Big Ray? Uh, well, uh, probably whenever um, John Eccles announces my next Moss Wrestling tournament. <laughs> he seems to... <laughs> He seems to add a few pounds to my total. So, <laughs> yeah, man. All right. So, um, strongman is obviously probably the, you know obviously the big thing that we focus on. So let's let's get into the strongman stuff, man. Amateur World Championships from Strongman Corp at the Arnold. The big deal. Very hard to qualify for, and. The events are extremely heavy. The competition is extremely stiff. Um, it's probably it's probably the toughest competition in the world outside of the pro Arnold's and like world strongest man. What um, you know as as far as uh, as far as how stiff the competition is, how many people you're up against the quality of competitors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, how close the points are. You know, you can't make any mistakes and do even marginally well at this thing. What are your thoughts on the Arnold Amateur as a show, uh, the whole thing overall, and then we'll get to some individual performances. 
Um, so I, I did miss a lot of the amateur because um, some of the event was the Moss wrestling was going on at the same time as the amateur event. Uh, I did catch parts of it. Um, it was run uh, pretty well, I thought. Um, you know, any any hangups at an at an event like that um, are oftentimes more the venue than um, the promotion and stuff. Uh, but I actually didn't see any problems, uh, with anything, you know, with the, with the little amount that I did get to see, everything seemed to be going pretty well. Um, they could have had a better announcer, but other than that, um, I know. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, it was, it was very well run. Everything seemed to be moving very quickly. Um, especially considering how many, um, athletes were involved in stuff and in and, and the, the types of events they were doing. It moved pretty fast. I think it was a good show overall. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any, any bad thing to say about it, really. Well, that's extremely boring, John, so we're going to get on to some exciting stuff. What the people came here to hear, they came to hear about me because I'm the guest. We've been talking about you the whole time. It's time to talk about what Paul did. Actually, it's not that exciting. I did, I did the, uh, had the honor to do the announcing for uh, all the amateur uh, world championship strongman events, and also had the honor, the privilege to announce for quite a bit of the pro women's events. And that's kind of what I do. I'm a lot better at talking than I am at lifting, so I use that to my advantage. And really enjoyed doing it. And thanks to uh, Elaine and Tim and Sarah and Walter and good Lord, everybody else that was at the Mauser party house. Um, they kept me alive during all this, because what you don't know is I was showing up to the venue at seven thirty every morning and I would be basically locked into the same area with only enough time to run off and hit the bathroom if I was lucky before I had to come back. I, I was working. Yeah, this was this was a job. I, I, I was working. Um, so I didn't have the opportunity to run around and get food and stuff. There were beverages there. There, were, uh, there was water, so I was able to stay hydrated. But if it wasn't for, uh, if it wasn't for the crew, of bringing me a giant bag of snacks, I may have perished there, John. I may, I may have actually died there. <laughs> All right. Well, glad, glad you made it through. Uh, yeah, the party house was um, packed full of uh, uh, John the Viking approved um, snacks, such as Pop Tarts and ice cream. <laughs> yes, and let's not forget the Girl Scout cookies. I was, I, uh, I drew the stink eye um, from quite a few people of jealousy because I had Samoas. I, I think, I think those came from Tim or Sarah, um, and I don't know what they call them now. They used to call them Samoas, whatever they are now, coconut delights or something. Um, Wait, they changed the name of them? Yeah. Basically, the best cookie ever made. They changed. Yeah, they the changed name? the name. I think uh, what? for you know, political correctness, because somehow Samoas was a bad thing or something. I don't know. 
You're about to start a fight. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry I ruined your day with that knowledge. But anyway. Um, uh, yeah, so they kept me alive. Because believe it or not, yelling into a microphone for like eight hours straight burns a tremendous amount of calories and is actually kind of exhausting. So uh, by the end of day one, pretty tired, um, moved, moved a lot of equipment. Uh, I also, I, I, I was able to, I was asked to provide Mauser blocks for one of the events for the Amateur World Championships. I was certainly happy to do so. And... So we had we had we had Mauser blocks there for the first time represented at the Arnold and the Mauser logo on the Arnold T-shirt, which was super freaking cool. And we were located uh, the amateur events, the first four, right beside of the wheel of pay, 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 pay. <clears throat> so that was really awesome. Uh, Thursday, Thursday when we came in, when we were setting up. The rogue staff was there, and they were just hanging around, hanging out around the wheel of pain. I think they were putting the final touches on it or whatever, and they were just letting people mess with it. So I went over and I got, you know, I got some selfies and stuff with the old wheel of pain and all that. I asked them, I, I, I kid you not, John. I asked them. I said, "What is it going to take? Give me a dollar amount. How much is it going to take to get this thing loaded up?" haul it down to West Virginia for a competition, and then haul it back. And, of course, they, they, they thought I was joking. But I said, no, give me a dollar. Now, what is it, 5000 7000 $10,000? Well, $10,000 do it, and they would not entertain the idea. And I was dead serious. So I that's, um, that's unfortunate because now the wheel of pain, 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 is going to basically sit in a warehouse for the next 360 some days or whatever until the next Arnold. And I was willing to drop some serious cash. I would, I would call, I would call in every favor to every person I've ever known to get enough money to make this happen, <laughs> but they would not entertain the idea. <clears throat> that, that is a, that is a tragedy. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so how was it? You got in there. Did you give it a push? Did you, uh, did you give it a, a whirl? You know, I, I made our ancestors very sad because I did not give it a push. I had a knee incident, uh, occur a couple of weeks ago that was potentially pretty serious. Um, looks, looks like I'm going to be okay at this point, but I had my knee drained. I had a shot flow of cortisone in order for me to make it through the Arnold weekend because I knew I was going to be on my feet a whole lot for, you know, three to four days in a row. And I didn't want to do anything that would risk, uh, aggravating that knee, causing it to swell up again, et cetera, et cetera. And then being stuck there, um, having to do my job uh, on a knee that was sold off the size of a pumpkin. So I did not give it a push. And, uh, hmm. you know, that's that, that's a hard pill to swallow. But I did get to, you know, I did get to touch it. I did get to hang out with it. I did get to take some selfies with it. So, you know, overall, I'm pretty happy about that. Good deal. So then um, you also went on to announce more, right? Like you didn't just do the amateur event. 
yeah, I did the I did the pro ladies as well. So, which is, you know, for me, that's um, that's kind of a big thing for me. Um, some folks don't know that I'm um, sort of a founding member of a women's strong, like a strong woman club for you know strong women, powerlifters, uh, Highland Games women, etc. Called Mountain State Women of Strength. Um, it's something that uh, you know I've always I've always been one to encourage uh, women to get into this stuff. I, I've never been one of the guys that was like, "Oh, women shouldn't do that." Blah blah blah. You know, I, I've I've always wanted to see uh, the women's side of the sport grow and more women get involved and et cetera, et cetera. And I, I really I really like seeing um, the progress that's that, that's being made with that. And so for me, and, and I, I know some of these ladies, uh, some of the pro women, you know, I, some of them I chat with here and there and, uh, it's pretty cool to be able to cover that for me. It's, um, it, it's actually really, really a big deal for me to be able to announce that, to be able to, you know, you know do commentary or whatever, um, for the pro ladies. That's, that's like, uh really really special for me so i'm super happy that i got to do the majority of their events um their axle press i did not get to announce because the amateur stuff was going on at the same time and the re- uh the record breakers events i did not get to uh i did not get to announce but hopefully hopefully i'll get to do the record breaker stuff um as well next year if if the schedules align and and all that kind of good happy stuff yeah, it's crazy how much stuff uh, is going on at the same time at the Arnold. There's just so much stuff that that's, things have to overlap. Uh, it's almost, it could be overwhelming, um, you know, if you look at the schedule and you're trying to watch all this different stuff. Um, it's pretty cool to have that many options, but it, but it's also, you know, it also gets crazy. Yeah, and I think Strongman is taking over the Arnold Expo. If you look at where people go and what they're interested in, they want to see the strongman stuff. And there's a whole lot of it. There's the amateur world championships. There's the pro women. There's the pro men. And then there's all the record breaker stuff. And all of it is drawing a heck of a crowd. I mean, it's, it's just it's sheer madness. So I, I think strongman may actually be the number one draw at the Arnold now. Um, which was originally, you know, basically built as a bodybuilding contest because that's, you know, uh, where Arnold cut his teeth. Um, but I think, I think Strongman's kind of taken over the expo as the number one attraction. What do you think about that? Yeah, I would agree, especially with just the amount of Strongman stuff that's going on. Um, you know, you have, uh, you know, Moss Wrestling is, is a part of some strongman, so you have that, and then you have the, the amateur women, amateur men, you have the uh, you have the adaptive uh, divisions, um, the pro divisions, and then you have the record breaker stuff, and all, all those different types of uh, divisions and events going on for the whole weekend. Um, I, I don't think there are any of the other... Uh, you know, things may, maybe the bodybuilding, but I don't think there's anything else that has that many, um, separate events under one umbrella going on in that weekend. 
Yeah, I would uh, I would agree for sure. And you mentioned the uh, the disabled uh, strongman, the the adaptive um, strongman class, and that competition was super cool. I I got to catch some of that just as a just as a spectator when when I had a little bit of downtime. I was able to run over and uh, and check some of that out, and you know there was a a 500 plus kilo um, world record in a seated deadlift, which is basically like you know you're talking about well, like a wheelchair athlete. Um, guy's name is Martin Ty, and he did over. 500 kilos, so we're talking over 1,100 pounds. I think it was 1,105. Uh, you know, he doesn't have the use of his legs, so he's literally he's sitting down. The bar is behind his legs. You know, if you think like a hack lift, it's behind the calves, and then he, you know, up, uh, up uprights his posture with his torso and pulls. 11.05 off the ground for that. Um, you know, uh, any, anybody who didn't get to see uh, some of the disabled strongman competition at the Arnold, you missed out. You missed out. Now, some, you know, some of the stuff moves a little slowly because they have they have to be very meticulous in how they set uh, set things up for um, obvious reasons and, and safety precautions and things of that nature. But you know, you haven't lived until you've seen like. You know, somebody in a wheelchair lifting Atlas stones. I mean, that's some, that's some serious shit right there. No, oh, yeah, for sure. I didn't uh, I didn't get to see a lot of that either, but uh, I've seen I've seen those guys and uh, uh, you know different competitions here in Morgantown. They've they've had they've shown up, and it's always uh, super impressive to see. Magnus Ver Magnuson is uh, a big player in adaptive or disabled strongman stuff. He's kind of the guy that's sort of behind all that at the Arnold. And, um, you know, Magnus is a guy uh, who has given back so much to the sport in retirement. Uh, he, you know, he's a head official at the Arnold. He's a head official with like World Strongest Man. He, he runs competitions back home in Iceland. He coaches athletes. He you know promotes the uh, disabled, uh, World Strongest Disabled athlete competitions and at the Arnold and stuff. Um, I think a guy like Magnus is what people should aspire to be when their competing days are done. And also, by the way, Magnus now owns a Mauser block. That's what I hear. Tell tell us about that. So that's pretty darn cool. Oh well, uh, he you know he he got to see it. Um, I can't remember when he first got to see it. I know he, he's sort of buddies with Steve Schmidt, um, and, and they met, and he was able to see you know he saw Steve Schmidt's like world record and stuff, and then they had an event. For a uh, a new company called StrongFit in Canada, and Steve took his block. He, he owns a master block. He took it up to Canada and uh, did sort of an unofficial uh, world record exhibition there. And you know, Magnus was able to see the product up close and personal. And so we we end up starting starting to talk. 
pull some strings with some folks he knows in order to get a better, um, you know, a better deal on shipping it over there. We, we were able to put it on a boat and take it by sea, you know, versus paying $1,500 or whatever to send it by, you know, a FedEx plane or something. Um, so, yeah, long story short, Magnus for Magnuson now owns a Mauser block, and that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> pretty cool stuff going on there. Um, <clears throat> so, amateur uh, strongman, um, Hannah the Destroyer was competing, um, as well as uh, uh, from West Virginia, as well as um, Tiffany Drake and uh, Ashlyn Harlan. And uh, am, I, am I missing anybody there from Jesse West Virginia? Nelson. Yeah, Jesse Nelson. Jesse Nelson. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, they they were all. Yeah, we stole him from California. <laughs> right. Uh, he's a transplant. Um, but yeah, everybody had a pretty decent showing. Um, as always, you know, I, I like to say, like, uh, anytime West Virginia shows up at a strongman competition, people know they're in. They're in for a, a run for their money. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the athletes from, from this little old hillbilly state can compete anywhere in the world. And uh, this was Ashland's uh, first Arnold appearance as a heavyweight athlete. She, she qualified um, as a heavyweight and uh, opted, opted to go with that class. And, you know, did, did, did pretty well in her uh, – Big show heavyweight debut. Um, Hannah in the lightweight ladies division. And where did she? I actually don't even know. I, I haven't been able to catch up with everybody. Where did she end up? I believe she was sixth place overall. Right. So and, and top the top four only uh, went on to day three. So she really just missed the cut there. Um, same, same story. I think for, uh, for Jesse, he was, he was right outside of the, uh, right outside of the cutoff there as was, uh, as was Tiffany. Um, but, but all, all represented very well, all, all awesome people and, uh, all, all people I'm you know proud to know and, uh, love, love seeing them represent the state. Pretty darn cool stuff. So lightweight ladies, um, was not the uh, the biggest class. The middleweight women was the biggest class, um, which, which is pretty common. Um, and I think uh, I think heavyweight women had I think ten. Um, I don't remember what the numbers were in the, were in the other classes, but it's a very exclusive. Like we talked about, very hard to qualify for this. Um, it's not like you can just go to any competition and qualify for the Arnold. It's, it, it doesn't really work that way. Um, it, it's, it's very, very tough just to get there. So, you know, you're, you're in good company. You're in the company of other athletes that are at an extremely high level and they're from all over the world. Um, I don't know if this is official, but Dion threw out the number 50 when, when we were discussing something about countries represented, uh, she sort of said the number 50 in passing. So I don't know if it was actually 50 countries represented, 
but it was a freaking lot. I'm I'm going like you gotta remember I'm I'm announcing this right, so I have the sheets, I have the roster sheets, and I'm calling everybody out, and it's like every other competitor is from a different country. It was like Uzbekistan, Ukraine, Japan, uh, Australia, um, you know the UK, Canada. It's like every other competitor is from a different country. It was pretty cool to see. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It just goes to show how much it's spreading and and how big it is. And again, you know, that the strongman's taking over the Arnold when you have that many people from all over the world willing to spend the money to fly in for that event. You know, I mean, that tells that tells you how big it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so definitely a big deal when, when you talk about a real, you know, world championships, you know, not, uh, not some dude in his backyard that promotes his own federation saying, oh yeah, this is a world championship. You're talking about actual representation of countries all over the world. Um, that's a world championship. So that's, that's pretty darn cool. Uh, men's divisions, um, lightweight men. Zero to one seventy-five. Uh, about uh, ten guys in that class. The only class that does not have a pro status. And there's a lot that can be said about that. Um, you know as well as I know. At the local level, it is extremely hard to get one seventy-five guys to show up to a contest. It's um, it, it's damn near impossible, man. Um, th- there's actually a one fifty class. But I don't even think I list a 150 class on my entry forms anymore because they basically don't exist in this sport. So uh, 175, the top, you know, the, the very top guys are incredibly good and incredibly impressive, and you know, just pound for pound freaks. But the division as a whole needs more people to step up. So if you're listening to this and you know, you're a guy that's um, eligible for that class. Get out there and compete, because for God's sakes, we got we got to build that division if it's gonna if it's gonna remain. I mean, you know, I I could throw a contest in two weeks. I could announce I could announce a contest right now, and in two weeks, I could have like a reasonably decent middleweight division, or probably a reasonably decent heavyweight division. To get a 175 class, I have to promote a contest for like 12 months straight to get, you know what I mean, to get a decent like 175 class. It's so hard. So guys, if you're listening and you're a 175er or less, get out there and do your local shows because we can't keep this stuff going at the higher levels if you're not showing up at at the local shows. Yep. Anyway, that's, that's a rant. Um, that has, that's neither here nor there with the Arnold, the guys at the Arnold, all incredible. Um, but just as a note to the 175 guys, if you're listening to this, for God's sakes, go sign up for a couple of contests. Come on. (laughs) You heard it there. You heard it there. Go sign up right now. Just go on the calendar or pull it up, throw a dart at it, whatever, pick a competition and go. saying my contest like this i'm not even uh, this is the rare the rare chance you get to hear me not do a shameless plug this is not a shameless plug i don't care if you're in california montana 
Texas, whatever. Um, go do your local shows, man. Just show up. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so yeah, but, but that, that was super cool. Um, I, I got to admit, I was sad that my buddy Quint Zambin um, was not competing at the Arnold this year. I think this is the first one he has missed since they actually started Amateur Strongman Championships at the Arnold. Um, so yeah, um, missed, missed, seeing my, uh, missed seeing my buddy Quint there. Middleweight men is always incredibly uh, competitive. It's often the most competitive show at the local level and the most competitive show at the national and world level uh, too. Most competitive division, I mean. And, you know, we saw that. And we saw a guy like um, uh, a guy like Bob Schwantz who was really, really high on the leaderboard have a mistake in one event, which was the uh, the Mauser block carry to um, uh, sled pull, arm over arm sled pull. Uh, I, I believe it was, um, I can't remember if he stu- had a stumble or if he, maybe he set the block off the mat. Maybe part of the block was off the mat because I saw that, I saw a handful of guys do that. Um, but the whole block had to be on the mat. Anyway, what I'm, what I'm getting at here is um, this guy was in position to move on to day three. He may have actually been in first place going into that event. Had a stumble on that event that cost him a few seconds and did not make day three. Was going into that event, I believe, don't, don't quote me on this, somebody's going to crucify me that hears this, but I think he was in first place going into that event. Had a stumble, cost himself a few seconds, and it dropped him so far that he did not make day three. That's how competitive freaking middleweight division is. Any uh, any thoughts on that kind of thing, John? <clears throat> well, you're you're always going to have that um, at a show of that size and caliber. Um, <clears throat> I think it's uh, yeah, it's pretty obvious competitive class and everything. You still with me there? You got to talk more. I'm eating Thin Mints. <laughs> I'm eating Girl Scout cookies that were left over from the big bag of snacks that they brought me. Wait, there were leftovers? Yeah. Man. You don't, even, you don't even understand how epic this bag of snacks was. <laughs> it was actually two different, on two different occasions, uh, or maybe three, they brought me food over. But at one point, um, I think it was Elaine shows up with her bag i know i know it's her bag i've still got the bag i've got to clean it out but she shows up uh with this giant like it's it's like a it's like an insulated bag that you might take on like a camping trip i think (laughs) you know like it's huge and there's like 10 pounds of food in there And, and, and plus various drinks so yeah, I, I still have some snacks left over from that that I am greatly enjoying. But let's um, let's talk heavyweights. Uh, our buddy Jesse Nelson, 
uh, was competing as a heavyweight. He's a he's a 105 kilo pro, a middleweight pro. Uh, Anthony Furman, also a middleweight pro, was competing as a heavyweight um, here because they're allowed to do that. Both guys did very well. Uh, Anthony made it to day three. They took the top ten in the heavyweight division. And top ten in the heavyweight division battle it out on day three, not only for a Strongman Corporation pro card, if they don't already have one, but also the winner of the heavyweight division gets an automatic invite to the Arnold Pro Strongman competition to compete alongside Half Thor and Martins and Brian Shaw and Shivlikov and all those guys um, in 2020. So a lot on the line, very important competition, very important division. And that's why these 105 kilo pros um, opt to compete in that as heavyweights. They want that opportunity. They, they want to be able to step on the, uh, on, on the stage with, uh, you know, the guys I just mentioned and do that elephant bar deadlift and do that wheel of pain, and do that stone to shoulder and do that who's and all that good, happy stuff that happens. So, uh, super important, super prestigious, and the action there was crazy. Um, like I said, Anthony made it to day three. Uh, day three, our our buddy uh, Marcus Crowder, um, also a Mauser Block owner, yeah, cough cough, uh, shameless plug. Um, he, he made it. He made it to day three. Uh, battled out on the final two events. It came down to the uh, final event, which was the dead sled deadlift for reps against Bobby Thompson. And it was between them, you know, but basically who, basically whoever won their, whoever won their heat was pretty much winning the whole contest. They were, uh, I think, uh, Marcus was number one or two. Bobby was number one or two and pretty much whoever won their head to head matchup was what was winning the whole thing. That's basically what it came down to. And, uh, Bob, Bobby edged him and was able to win that. Marcus ended up in second. You have actually competed against Marcus um, and actually got on the Moss Wrestling board against Marcus. What can you tell us about that guy? He's got a 2,200-plus pound powerlifting total. He's a heavyweight pro. Uh, he won Strongman Corp Nationals. Um, what's it like to compete against a freak like that? <clears throat> well, it's pretty fun. I mean, um, you know, it makes you... Uh better and uh it puts things into perspective of what kind of freaks are out there um <laughs> marcus is uh definitely a freak uh crazy strong i think when uh i competed against him it was at the viking highlander and um i think he beat me in every event but one <laughs> so if that says anything and uh well yeah and, and you ended up you were second place at that competition, if I remember. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. So, I mean, so that just goes to show, um, you know, if, if he wasn't there, you were winning that show. And, um, you know, he, he took uh, he took five out of six events there. So that, that just shows you the level uh, that some of these guys are at, the, you know, absolute freakazoids. And he uh, he damn near won the world championship and ended up punching his ticket to uh, 
uh, compete against Half Thor next year. So, uh, you know, pr- pretty cool to see um, a guy who's, uh, you know, come to West Virginia to compete and stuff and is uh, kind of a supporter of all things Mauser um, uh, uh, do that and, and, and grab, t- you know, grab the silver medal there. Um, any other highlights from the amateur Arnold uh, you wanted to touch on? How about Hannah? Did she did she hit some PRs? How did uh, how did she feel uh, about the performance? How did as her coach? How did you feel about it? What, what were your thoughts there? Yeah, every uh, every event was a PR. Um, it was a uh, um, a rep PR for the log, I believe. Um, there was. Um, a, a, a time PR, uh, she can actually carry heavier farmers pretty easily. Um, but for that weight, she hit her fastest time to date. Uh, it's hard to say what kind of, like if there was a PR with, the uh, um, the Mauser block carry and, and sled just because of how, uh, it's just hard to gauge an event like that, especially with the sled. Cause you have different floors and you know, whatnot, but, um, very good performance there and uh, uh, hit a PR kind of with the, um, the deadlift. Um, the deadlift is actually where uh, we lost the most ground in the whole thing. Um, but we had a SI joint issue um, like four weeks out or three weeks out from the Arnold. We had an SI joint issue and had to um, bail on our, our deadlift plan and re and reevaluate and, and kind of try something new. So um, we knew the deadlift was going to be a struggle going in. Uh, and that's, that's where we lost the most ground. Um, but we know now one with 100% certainty that, uh, that she can make it. Now, to normally, the, normally the deadlift is a pretty strong event for Hannah. She starts having these SI issues. Was there ever a point were she considered not competing? Uh, no, not to my knowledge. No, it was never a consideration. Um, we can get, uh, I can get an SI joint. Uh, we, we have it figured out. I mean, you, you can get it back in and, and fixed pretty quickly. Um, now, so, you know, this wasn't something that was going to nag her clear up to competition, but it did derail training for about two weeks. Um, so we knew that, that that was going to be a problem, uh, event. And, uh, but we now know that everything else is dialed in. So, and, and that it, it is definitely possible to make the day three and make it into the top four. And, uh, I personally feel that a pro card is in Hannah's future. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of uh, covers the amateur championships. A um, cu- couple of notes, just just, just some things that uh, I, th- I think people might might appreciate uh, from a different perspective here. Um, you know, as, as the announcer, um, it was cool to see uh, a lot of people in the stands, a lot of people watching, a lot of people cheering. Um the Arnold Sports Festival is it's it's the biggest fitness expo in the world. So you have a built-in audience and you have people that are very interested in what's going on. 
and they're filling the seats and they're watching it and it, it, it's cool to see that hopefully uh hopefully as time goes on we're able to get more of that sort of thing going so that these athletes can be in front of actual spectators more often um and uh you know i've got i've got some plans for that and hopefully we can we can make a lot of that stuff happen soon there were uh there were some hiccups um just you know some organizational stuff people a lot of people don't know what kind of happens behind the scenes but uh you know obviously rogue is one of the biggest sponsors of the entire arnold um they, they even have the rogue stage you know and, and, and rogue is behind the, the purse strong man and all this kind of stuff well, rogue provided um probably all of the plates all of the weight plates that we used for the event and uh when it came time for the heavyweight men's mouser block event we realized we had run out of 25 pound plates so it was uh we were going to load them to 370 i think it was i think it was advertised as 390 i'm not sure why that, that stuff just happens and we're gonna load these bad boys up to 370 and then we don't have enough 25s like oh okay uh you know, and, and what, whether that was a miscommunication on our part, uh, you know, on Strongman Corp's part, or a miscommunication on Rogue's part, I don't know. All I know is that the plates weren't there. So the heavyweights ended up doing the same block weight as the middleweights did, um, but their sled was, you know, their sled pull on that event was still heavier. But it just goes to show you stuff like that happens. And one thing I want everybody listening to this to take away from it is when you compete at a big big time competition we're talking like nationals we're talking the arnold stuff happens and stuff is often on a very tight time schedule and other things that happen can affect the competition like other things that happen at the expo other things that happen um you know, with a sponsor, other things that happen with uh, another event, other things that happen with the venue can all affect stuff. So, for example, you know, that plate that plate issue, that's something that was out of our control. You know, they, they delivered the plates and boom, all of a sudden we're out. And now all of a sudden that event becomes lighter than it was than, than it was supposed to be. Uh, that kind of stuff happens when you have a show at that scale. There's so many moving parts to make it all happen. Another thing is warm-ups. Uh, there were some athletes that got pretty upset about the warm-up situations at one point because we had to move them along very quickly. And when you've got a hundred athletes all trying to warm up at the same time, and you'll you know you've got five stations for them to do it, they're not getting the same warm-up at the competition that they might get in training. So when you go, and, and this is why I encourage people, if they qualify for nationals or something, I encourage them to actually go. That way they can get that big show experience and learn how to compete because there is a lot more to know about competing successfully at that level than just showing up and being strong. And one of those things is you need to be prepared to make your own warm-up happen. Because you may not get, if, if it's a log event, for example, you might be lucky to get one set, you know, to uh, on the log. And God knows what weight's going to be on there. You know, you, you're going to get pushed up to that log. It's going to be loaded to 
at something. You may not even know what's on the log, and you just gotta grab it and get a few reps in, and, and hope that's enough to get you going. So you need to be prepared and understand how to warm yourself up and how to prepare to perform without getting your customary five, six, seven sets or whatever on the log before you do a maximal set. Any thoughts on that? Any advice you would give to uh, prospective nationals and or Arnold competitors? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Um, like you said, if you qualify, go ahead. You know, it doesn't hurt to go. Um, but when you do go, uh, unless unless you are just some kind of unreal freakazoid, your first go should just be for the experience of it. So you should be taking notes. You should be paying attention to things. You should be taking all that in because the next time you go, you know, obviously you should try to place higher and, uh, and higher and higher. So, so take notes, take mental notes of all those things and, um, and figure out how you're going to get better and, and how you're going to improve every time you go back. And, you know, that's what we've done. Uh, that's what I've done with all my people that when we go, um, you know, and then when I get a new person, I explain all the stuff that, that we've learned over the years of going and doing it. And, um, that knowledge is just passed along. And it, and every time some, a new person goes, their experience is easier than all the previous people, you know? Yeah. And, you know, people don't realize it is your responsibility to make sure you perform. It is not the organizer's responsibility to make sure that you perform. And I know that sucks. And I know, you know, you, you, you think that things should be a certain way. But sometimes things are not that way. And you're either going to be the person that adapts to the situation and figures out a way to get an optimal performance, regardless of the circumstances, or... You're going to be the person who doesn't adapt to the situation and simply complains about it afterwards when you place poorly because you weren't prepared to do what needed to be done to get warmed up and get prepared for the event. You don't want to be that second person. You want to be that first person who figures out a way. Right. Yeah, for sure. Another thing to talk about is rookie mistakes, and this is another reason if you qualify for nationals, you should probably try to go, um, because you need to learn, and you need to compete locally a lot. You need to do the level one and the level two contests a lot, and the stricter the judging, the better, because that's going to prepare you for nationals. Um our friend Tiffany had a heartbreak on the log event because she got, you know, I don't know what was going through her head. I don't know what happened, but her first rep on a two fifteen log did not count because she did not wait for the down command. That rep was very important and she lost it. And I feel super bad for her about that. And I want to give her a big hug. Um, I think she missed more that kind of mistake at the Arnold or at nationals that can be the difference between a world title and not having a world title. So, 
you need to work out the bugs for that kind of thing at the local level. And that way, when you go to the Arnold, you're not making rookie mistakes, you know. Um, always, you know, always listen for those commands. You've got to follow the commands. There's, there's nothing worse than putting up a good lift and then realizing it didn't count because you did something silly like jump a command. That's a heartbreak. Yeah, I think she may have actually missed more than one rep in that uh, series, but I'm not 100% sure. I, I, know it was one, I know it was one for sure, but yeah. Um, that kind of, you know, kind of stuff happens. And, yeah. and you know, nobody's perfect. But uh, when, you, uh, when you get to that level, you want to have the bugs worked out. You, you want to you make sure that you are on point and know how to compete. And knowing how to compete means not missing commands and not wasting energy uh, by missing reps on technicalities. I think it's time to talk about the pros. What do you think? Yeah. Um, yeah, let's, let's do that. Uh, that's the big show. That's the, <clears throat> the probably the biggest, uh, most watched event at the Arnold, like we said. Um, it's the thing that, that people buzz about for months after the fact. Uh, so, uh, let's get into it now. Again, I missed a lot of this cause I had, you know, I was running around watching, you know, 10 different people compete. Um, so I missed a, a lot of it, but I did catch some of it. Um, so, so you may have more information than I do here. Yeah. I, I, I tried to, anything that I didn't actually get to see, I tried to make sure to, um, catch up with online later. Um, as far as the pro men go, most of the pro women stuff I actually got to be there for, which was great. Um, we'll talk about the pro men, uh, elephant boy deadlift first that, you know, this event had a lot of buzz and a lot of controversy, um, as to what, you know, what's a, what's a record and what's not, blah, blah, blah. Uh, at the end of the day, um, as predicted, half, half door took the win. Um, Jerry Pritchett, unfortunately, again, very injury prone. Um, Poor guy can't make it through a show uh, without tweaking a hammy. Um, cost him dearly here in his best event. Uh, Brian Shaw, uh, you know, also rumored to have uh, some sort of hamstring uh, issue on that. He, he was able to place well on his second attempt at like 10:25 or so, but third attempt uh, did not go his way and affected him for the rest of the contest. Um, Half Thor broke his elephant bar record on his second attempt, went for the 500.5 or 501 kilo uh, lift on his third, and just looked like he got in his head, his own head a little bit, and if you watch, like if you watch any of his other lifts, you know, not, not just from that day, but any of his deadlifts from last year too, all of them look the same except that attempt. I think he got in his own head. I think he uh, goofed his timing a little bit because, you know, he's one of these big guys that likes to likes to roll the bar to help him, you know, get into a proper position or whatever and, and utilize that stretch reflex and whatnot. Um, but uh, just, just mechanically didn't look like he was quite perfect on that. And there's no way you're going to pull that unless you're perfect. So, um, 
little little hesitation there, and I think it cost him. He got he got it up to his knees, and it, it came right back down. I think um, I think he does have that lift in him. I actually predicted that he would make that lift, and uh, I think in Europe's strongest man, they're going to do. Uh, I think they have Max Deadlift again there this year, and I would if there's enough money on the line, I'm sure he will try it again there. Oh yeah, I, I definitely think he'll try it again. Um, he was if he doesn't ha- didn't have it in the tank, he's he's pretty close enough that he could hit it this year for sure. So he'd be foolish not to not to attempt it again if if there's money on the line. And at, at Europe's uh, Europe's strongest man, deadlift suits are legal, as are figure eight straps. So. You know, there's a lot said about whether the, um, you know, whether the deadlift at Europe's or the deadlift at the Arnold is tougher. Um, I think we'll find out. I, th- I think I think we might find out definitively uh, which uh, which show has the tougher deadlift: uh, elephant bar with regular straps and no suits versus a deadlift bar with uh, suits and straps allowed or suits and figure eights um, allowed. So. I know what I think is more difficult. Uh, a lot of people have an opinion on that. Um, and, and, you know, Eddie Hall has said quite a bit about this. Uh, Let's be honest, Eddie Hall is Any thoughts about you care this. to share on that? What's that? Any thoughts you care to share on this uh Regular bar versus elephant bar, Arnold versus Giants Live kind of uh, controversy. It's kind of been beaten to death, but I didn't know if you had anything to say about it. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even really care, but, uh, you know, Eddie Hall, uh, he's flip-flopped on this, this subject. Um, in an older video, he said flat out that the elephant bar was more difficult um, but now that, that, that people are getting close to hitting, uh, you know, what, what he's done, um, he has to preserve his legacy. So he'll say whatever's necessary to preserve that and, and, uh, keep, keep riding the, that, uh, train. Um, yeah, you know, and, and then as far as the deadlift suit, uh, I don't know if we'll get a definitive answer or not, because I don't know if half the world put on the suit, um, I don't know that, that he would wear it in that competition. So I'm not sure, uh, you know, I don't know. Are, if are, you, saying he are you saying half the world doesn't want his balls crushed? <laughs> that might be the case. Um, or, now, or a lot of people, a lot of people don't know this, but you've actually worn a deadlift suit or at least tried to wear it. Um, have your testicles recovered from that? <laughs> it ain't worth it, folks. It's just not worth it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty uncomfortable. Um, that, that suit may have been a little, a little small. Uh, but but Half Thor's going to run into that too. Uh, he's he's going to have to get, undoubtedly, uh, he's going to have to go to a manufacturer and and get measured and have that custom made. Um, uh, you know, uh, there's no way he's just going online and ordering one. You're saying he couldn't just borrow that from like. Uh... I don't know, like Yaroslav Demick or um, Stumpy Reigns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> he's going to borrow Stumpy's deadlift suit and break uh, break the all time world record. Uh, so let's talk uh, second event for the pro men um, was the Husafel carry. They actually made like they chiseled from stone a uh, a replica of the actual uh, Husafel stone in Iceland. Mm-hmm. Got it to the four hundred and nine pounds or whatever. Like got it to the exact weight. Um, you know, basically made it as close as you could possibly make one uh, to the original. Set up the course. I thought this was really cool. This was attention to detail. They set up the course um, to the exact length and shape of the um, of the goat pin in Iceland that you carry the original stone around. So they, they really went through a lot of trouble to make sure that they had a very authentic uh, Usafel carry here. But there was a bit of controversy because they allowed tacky towels on this, which in the world of natural stone lifting, um, the Arnold is like the only place that allows any kind of sticky stuff of any sort on natural stone lifting. Um, why? Uh, so what I don't know is I liked the event. Okay, I liked the event. I liked the trouble that they went through to make it authentic. I love the fact that they had a Husqvarna carry at the Arnold. I think it's one of the very best tests of strength possible, especially when you have to pick it from the ground the traditional way and carry it. That's real world strength. However, I don't know why they went through all the trouble to have an authentic Husqvarna stone with an authentic course. And then said, "Oh yeah, by the way, you guys can use tacky tails." I I, just, I I don't know what to. Do you have any thoughts on that? What are your? Did, did this tap your ass, or do you, or, or or are you okay with that? <laughs> no, I thought it was dumb. Uh, I didn't. I mean, I'm not mad about it just because. I mean, you know, I mean, who makes the rules, right? Like they just pick and choose, hit whatever. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Let it, They're going to do whatever they want to do. Well, I, I mean, I still, I still liked the event. I just, I just don't understand that decision. Um, but again, still a fantastic event. Um, Whose fellstone picked up from the ground? That was very important to me as well. That they, they actually did it from the ground. Um, because that's how the, you know, <laughs> that's how the original challenge was done and, and has been done for many, many, many generations. So I'm glad they did that. And I think you got to see on this Husafel carry um, different guys excel uh, at, at that event maybe than what you would have seen Excel at some of the past Arnold events. If I, you know, in years past, if I had one criticism about the Arnold, it's that a lot of times the events were a little too much like lifting in the gym and not uh, quote unquote real world enough. But over the last few years, they've really added in some more, what I like to call real world strength events. And there's nothing more real world than picking up a heavy ass object off the ground that has no handles and having to carry it somewhere. Um, that's about as real world as you get 
for strength. What are your thoughts on the Husafel as an event? Um, taking it off the ground versus taking it off the platform, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I thought, I mean, that that's pretty cool that they went through all the trouble of making it the exact replica and, and the replica course and, and all that. I think that's um, a great way to pay uh, homage to this old school strength event. And, um, you know, I really like the, the fact that they have to pick it up from the ground because, <clears throat> you know, I mean, that's just like you said, real world. Most things are are going to be on the ground. Very rarely are you going to find a 400 pound object set up perfectly for you to manipulate. Um, but, you know, it's just one more of these things that they do to the, the, the tacky towel things. One more thing that, that, that just to be done that, that just kind of doesn't make sense you know it's like they did all these things to make this more difficult it's it's smooth like the original stone they have to pick it up from the ground and then they're like but hey we'll make it a little bit easier you know it just doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense but whatever i mean like i said at this point in time they're doing there's no rhyme or reason to how or why or when you get to use a tacky towel or why or how or when you get to use tacky or straps or suits or whatever you just make it up as you go along so you're gonna have to deal with uh you're gonna have to deal with this nonsense you know that's just how it is right now so yeah i don't think it's it's not putting a, a blemish on the event so much for me at this point um you know but but i think at some point they need to come up with some sort of rational system for this sort of stuff. So half Thor wins the first two events on day one. He wins the deadlift and also wins the Husfell carry. Not a big surprise. Um, obviously he's, you know, currently the best deadlifter in the world and he was the world record holder, uh, on the actual Husfell stone heading into this. So, not a big surprise uh, at this point. Um, I think the surprises were Shaw did not so well on the Husafel. Um, the new guy Novikov did quite well. Uh, Martins was doing well. Um, Shivlikov and Heinle were up there. Going into day two, we had probably the most buzzed about event. Uh, maybe in Arnold history, the Wheel of Pain. And if you don't know what the Wheel of Pain is, go watch the original Conan the Barbarian movie, and you will see the Wheel of Pain. They built it, brought it to life, uh, 50 or $100,000 uh, it took to build it. It weighs 20,000 pounds. They had meticulous craftsmanship and artistry on this. They went through every possible uh, avenue to make this as cool as possible. And I don't think enough can be said about how much work went into making this uh, a really spectacular apparatus. Um, the biggest strongman apparatus ever built. Any thoughts, uh, any thoughts on that wheel of pain, John? Did, uh, do you want to, uh, do you want to build one? What, what are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, I would love to build one. Uh, no, again, I think it's cool that, that they did this thing and, and it has like a purpose and, you know, they're paying homage to, uh, well, to Arnold essentially, you know, with the Conan movie. Um, 
Uh, I think it's cool that, um, you know, just the way that they promoted it and, and everything. And, and then they had it out there in the middle and people could see it and stuff. But, you know, it was just sat out there through the whole competition or the whole expo. Really. You just sat out there. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I think it was a great idea all around. I don't think, I don't think they could have done a better, uh, I don't think it could have done any of it better, you know, um, great event. And, um, it definitely beats the, like you said, the monotony and, and kind of like, you know, the gym lifts of, of years previous, uh, yeah, great idea, great concept and great delivery. Well, Martins made me look really smart on this. I predicted a Martins win here. And I had some very specific reasons why I was predicting Martin's win here. And he made me look real smart because he won the event. Uh, Half Thor almost got him, but was, you know, like a foot short or something of uh, beating his mark. But this sort of event suited a guy like Martin's who has not only just incredible leg power, because this was very much a leg event, but also a guy that's able to transfer that power through his body to the arm of the apparatus they're pushing against. Okay. If you've ever pushed a sled, um, you kind of know what I'm talking about here. If you're weak in the middle, if you're, if you're weak in your, anything from your serratus, your freaking delts, drives of whatever, if you have a weak link, you're not going to be able to transfer that power super well to the apparatus. Well, because of, because of the way Martins trains doing weird stuff like Steinborns and windmills with 200-pound circus bells and things of that nature, he's incredibly strong in his midsection throughout his entire trunk. So I knew not only did he have super strong legs, but that he would be able to transfer that power to the apparatus. The other factor is Martins can also produce a higher percentage of force over a longer period of time than a lot of these guys can. You know, uh, to the uneducated, to the to the to the unwashed masses, they might go cardio, but um, that's <laughs> extremely stupid. So don't say that. Um, it's not cardio. It's the ability to produce a higher level of your maximum force repeatedly for a longer period of time and martins does stuff like 500 pound squats for 20 reps and sets that allows him to do that so that he can continue to produce uh you know as the event goes on 15 seconds 20 seconds 30 seconds etc instead of going from 100 percent on every on every step because remember this is maximal force you're producing you're trying to push maximally on every step produce a hundred percent percent of your force on every step to move this thing as fast and as hard as possible to get the distance. And he can do that for a longer period of time than a lot of the other guys can. And, uh, that was why I picked him to win this event and he did it. And, uh, super happy for him because Martin's a pretty cool guy. And, uh, that was awesome to see final thoughts on the wheel of pain before we move on. No, yeah, again, I think, like I said, great, great all-around event. Um, yeah, I think uh, low, low risk of injury with that event. I think it's a, it's, it's still visually appealing. I think it's a great event. I'm hoping they. I mean, I don't have to hope. I'm sure they're going to use it again, just because of how much it costs and everything, and how successful it, it was. You know, having it in it, 
or whatever, but um, I'm hoping years to come that they'll still have this in the event and maybe, maybe um, it'll, it'll spring up in other competitions or something somehow. Uh, you know, my one gripe about the wheel of pain is that the freaking pro women should also be able to do that. They, you know, if they have to, uh, if they have to adjust the resistance on it, whatever the freaking pro women should be doing, my opinion, the same events as the pro men, or at least a lot of the same events. And, uh, they should get to, they should get to do that wheel of pain. It, it's, it's a damn shame to have that gorgeous of an apparatus and the pro women don't get their shot at it. So with that one complaint about the event, that was it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah.
John, if you're Martins at this moment, what's going through your minds? What's going through your mind when the stone rolls off the stage? <laughs> <laughs> um, probably that the stone is going to hit the floor and go through the floor and suck the entire expo down into the earth. <laughs> they could have created a black hole. Uh, yeah, I would be a little concerned that I may kill a spectator <laughs> in the very least. <laughs> so anyway, so the guys um, have to, the, the, the staff runs over, they're trying to pick up the stone. You know, if you've ever tried to do like a two-man lift on a stone, it's very awkward. Um, so two guys are trying to pick it up, three guys, four guys, etc. Finally, they get uh, like uh, something under it. Um, a blanket or something, they get under it and are able to lift the hoist it uh, and get it back on the stage. You know, probably 45 to 60 seconds had passed. They did stop the clock. However, by the time they get it back on stage, Martins is already, I, I think his mind, you know, how do you, how do you keep your head straight, you know, for right. uh, a world-class performance when something like that happens? I think, I think mentally he was just done. He tried to pick up one more time and then just walked away, but he didn't need it. He had already very handily locked up second place. Um, and didn't really have a chance at first at that point because Afdor had a sizable lead in first going into that event. So he locked he locked up second place overall, which is absolutely phenomenal. Thor wins the show, um, his second Arnold Classic title, and you know as much as that's being talked about, I think Martins grabbing the silver medal is probably just as big of a story because. It was it was by a significant margin. He didn't just grab a second. Yeah, I mean there were several points between him and third place. So um, extremely impressive performance. Final thoughts on the uh, Pro Man Strongman? I think it was a good show all around. The events were awesome. Um, I think it was promoted very well, uh, and I think. I think it was a very, very good, uh, lineup. Um, you know, I mean, it kind of sucks that, uh, Shaw and, um, Pritchett got hurt, hurt early on because th those are heavy hitters, you know, but, um, I think it was a great lineup, like with, with, um, half Thor, you know, kind of being the face of the sport right now. And then, uh, and then you have like all these young guys coming up or, or younger guys in the least coming up like Martins and, Kalizakowski and all them. Um, and, and you have a good mix of some of the older guys that are still in there. Um, you know, like Shaw and uh, Mikhail and all those guys. Um, I think it's a great lineup. Um, a lot of memorable people, uh, a lot of unique athletes, a lot of unique events, big events. I, I think it's kind of a perfect storm right now. Uh, I think this is a really great pro strongman event. Yeah. I mean, Besides, uh, besides a couple of the guys getting injured early, this was probably my favorite Arnold ever because of the mix of events, because of how strong the uh, lineup was, um, just how spectacular the events were, the production values gone through the roof. Um, just, just overall an absolute smashing success of a show, I think. Um, we have been blabbing on for a very, 
uh, meaningful amount of time here, we should probably wrap this up. We will. We, maybe we can cover the pro women on on its own show and and, and do a uh, do, do a miniature uh, a miniature podcast just to cover the pro women, give them their own spotlight, and uh, and cover some of that stuff uh, on another episode. What do you think? Yeah, that works for me. Yeah, we can wrap it up. Um, yeah, the Arnold Classic, uh, the Arnold Sport Festival, or um, as as Jessica, this one's for Jessica Fifth and the Arnolds, um, <laughs> Arnolds. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Arnold was a great time. Um, if you've never been, you need to go. You need to experience it. It's great. Uh, it's a good time. Um, you know, go soak it up. Find some. You know, there's a bunch of cool stuff. Um, oh, I do want to give a quick shout out while I'm thinking about it. We had one more West Virginian uh, compete at the Arnold. Um, Kevin Stokes, he did mace swinging. It was part of the kettlebell, uh, the kettlebell thing that for some reason they pair those together. Um, so after the kettlebell sport competitions, they did mace swinging. And um, West Virginian, uh, Kevin Stokes set a world record with um the I think it was a 35 pound mace swing 102 swings I believe in 5 minutes uh pretty impressive stuff that's Kevin Stokes you can check him out on Instagram he's actually um he's he's taught me how to do mace stuff and is working with me on that uh great guy and West Virginian just set a world record so that's pretty cool yeah congratulations to Kevin that is freaking awesome we'll see him at the Appalachian Team Championships May 25th captain of the Muscle Puffs yeah he's making his strongman debut so that's pretty cool too um, alright then man uh, thanks for having me on we will do an episode uh, here down the road at some point about uh, strong women uh, pro strong women um, and, and touch on all the, uh, you know, the action from the Arnold and just, and just, you know, strong woman as a whole, uh, the pro division, what's going on with that and, uh, all that kind of good, happy stuff. Because, you know, again, that's a, uh, that's kind of a, kind of a big thing for me. So I want to, uh, make sure we can give that the proper attention it deserves. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we'll catch you next time. Uh, thanks for uh, joining me, Paul. Um, this has been John the Viking Mauser and Paul Mauser with the Get Strong or Die podcast. Catch you next time.